0: There are a lot of different kinds of trees in the Bible. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the beginning. There's the tree of life at the end in the book of Revelation. And in between, there are many significant trees. There are the palm trees whose branches graced the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed to get a peek at Jesus the mustard tree that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God. In his marvelous collection of short stories about trees, author Richard Powers of The Overstory writes, This is not our world with trees in it. It's a world of trees where humans have just arrived. Indeed, one way to tell the story of God's love in the Bible is through the perspective of its trees, in which human beings are part of their stories. The one tree that sparks the most interesting reaction from Jesus is the central character in today's scripture reading. It's the fig tree. And it is this tree and its fruit that have a vital message for you and I to hear about the character of God and the hope that you and I can have even in the hardest of times. Now I'm neither an expert on trees nor a huge fan of figs, Throughout my life, whenever I've said the word fig, it has most often been followed by the word Newton that I know about, and I like those. But ask someone in the time of Jesus, or even many people throughout the history of the ancient Mediterranean, they most certainly would have known about fig trees. Back in 2006, archaeologists in Israel discovered evidence of fig tree gardening and cultivation as early back as 11,000 years ago. One Harvard archaeologist concluded that the fig tree was the very first tree that human beings ever learned how to master. The earliest humans figured out how to prune them, cut off their branches, and plant them in order to produce more trees and grow them to produce more fruit. And the fig itself became a symbol of power throughout the ancient world. Ancient Greeks used to award victorious athletes with figs. The Roman philosopher, Pliny the Elder, believed that figs had the power to heal. Muhammad said the fig was the one tree he hoped to see in paradise. Throughout history, the fig has been good for more than just making Newtons. In the words of Richard Powers, the fig tree has seen the history of the world in which humans have arrived. So by the time we get to the gospels, Jesus' followers know exactly what a fig tree is and what it represents. It represents vitality, prosperity, progress, life, and and all the good potential that life has to offer. That's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell some version of today's story, even though Matthew and Mark differ a bit from today's passage from Luke. It's the story of a fig tree gone bad, one that wasn't producing fruit, Maybe the poor fig tree couldn't help it. Maybe it was diseased. Maybe it was planted in poor soil to begin with. Maybe a person like me was in charge of it, so it didn't have a chance from the start. Mark's version of the story at least offers an explanation. When Jesus arrived at the tree, it wasn't the season for figs. It was green, it was leafy, but it wasn't bearing fruit because it wasn't the right time of year. Matthew doesn't seem interested at all in explaining why the tree wasn't bearing fruit. Instead, he's more interested in the discussion after Jesus puts the tree out of its misery. But here in Luke, we get a lot more drama, a lot more tension and suspense. In Luke, we meet the owner of the fig tree, who had watched as over the prior three years, the tree had failed to produce even a single fig. The owner declared the tree too broken, too unhealthy, too defective to be of any good use. So the owner went to his gardener and said, time's up, chop it down. Well, let's admit for a moment that we can identify with this owner because I think Luke is inviting us to see ourselves as the owner of the fig tree in this story. How many times in our lives have we looked at the condition of the world and the brokenness of the lives and relationships around us and lamented, how much longer, Lord? How many prayers have we offered to God that said, our patience is running thin, God. There is too much injustice, too much violence and war, too much inequality and dehumanization in our nation and world. We don't know how much longer we can take it, God. For a moment, imagine yourself as the owner of that fig tree, ready to call it quits, walk away, lose hope, start over, be done with it all. But Luke's gospel is all about second chances for the down and out and run down. His is the gospel of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the road to Emmaus. And if there's anything Luke's gospel teaches us about God, It is that in the long list of omnis we associate with God, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, we can give thanks that God is omnipatient. God is infinitely willing to hold out hope for the redemption and salvation of the world and everyone in it, including you. God is the gardener in the story who intervened. God is the gardener who bargains with the owner and with any of us who are ready to lose hope and says, just one more year, please, let's give it a chance. A few years ago, I met a man in this church named Dean, whose story I received permission to tell. As I got to know Dean, I learned a great deal about his life story, As the youngest of five children, Dean was a boy with charm to equal his intelligence, a do-gooder and a hard worker, a people-oriented person who was working on being an Eagle Scout. And then the realities of life, not so much settled in as it swept in like a thief in the night. A tragic car accident that hit Dean when he was a teenager forever altered his life, damaging his body and some of his capabilities. His father died suddenly just months after that accident, a burden of consecutive events far beyond what a normal teenager should bear. The fallout of these tragedies led to the darkest and most difficult period of his life in Dean's battles with alcohol addiction. His life soon became like that fig tree, unfruitful, with little chance of meeting his God-given potential. But then in 1996, Dean experienced nothing short of the powerful, transformative grace of God. It was in that year that Dean made the brave and bold decision to start a journey of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous and its 12-step program. And what a journey that was. Slowly, Dean began to recover the brightness and bravery that marked his early days of childhood. He was again able to become the affable, people-oriented, and energetic young boy as he became an inspiration to others who were themselves dealing with addiction. He remained sober every day since, and he availed himself to speak to individuals and groups to be an encouragement for others. All the while he became more and more passionate about his Christian conviction and wanted nothing more than to be fed in his faith and to grow closer to Jesus. And that's when I first met him. When I first met Dean, he was bubbling to find his place of ministry in this church. I said, well, Dean, this isn't a flashy job, but it's an important one. We need help on Sundays, helping people find a place to park. We need a friendly and helpful smile to greet people when they get out of their cars and to walk them into worship. And with every word I said, his eyes got brighter and his smile got bigger. He said, that's what I'll do. Just, Just let me know when to start. And he added his passion and optimism to our hospitality ministry from then on. Dean was diagnosed with cancer about a year later. And with every treatment and every hospital visit, he continued to demonstrate that unwavering faith and indomitable sense of optimism and joy that would have been unlikely decades prior. But he was a changed man, all because of his faith in Jesus and all because God gave him a second chance. When I did his funeral service, it was an amazing celebration of his life. A huge number of people showed up to pay their tribute and give thanks for this man who was not only able to move mountains in his life, but helped others do the same. All because the master gardener, the one who created humans and put them in a garden in the first place, can see in you and in me and in this whole broken world a chance at redemption when we cannot see it for ourselves. And God will stop at nothing, even at our worst, to offer us a shot at resurrection. The story of God's love can be told through its trees in which human beings play a part. Oh, and there is one last tree worth mentioning, one that rises taller and higher than all the rest in the Bible. It is the tree that stood on a lonely Golgotha hill, cut down and shaped into a cross. To all its observers, it was a tree of despair and lost causes, a symbol of shame and indignation. It was a tree that captured humanity at its worst, its ability to torture, to use violence to punish, and to cause suffering to others. But hanging on that cross was the fruit of God's love, preparing to bloom. And even after Jesus died and all hope seemed dashed, the master gardener said to all creation, let's give it a moment, shall we? Not a minute or two, but a few days. Three days, to be exact. This is how God works. Where you and I only see dead ends, God can see new life. Where you and I see hopelessness, God can see resurrection. It's what God can see even now in the world and what God can see in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your infinite love and your infinite patience with us. You offer to us and the world a chance at redemption through your son, Jesus. Prune back that which inhibits your fruit to be born through us. Bend our hearts toward the radiance of your grace. Empower us to grow in your love that we might stand strong and bear fruit for others. In Jesus' name, amen.